Escape Pod 276 January 20, 2011 On a Blade of Grass by Tim Pratt Hello and welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm Norm Sherman. So, you folks dig parasites? <laughs> Who am I kidding? Of course you do. Parasites are awesome and amazing. Even someone with a belly full of roundworms should be able to see that. Oh, you nematodes. Depending on what definition you use, as many as half of all animals have at least one parasitic phase in their life cycles, including plants and fungi. Depending on most definitions you use, almost every free-living animal is a host to one or more parasites in their lives. Parasites are always evolving in response to the defense mechanisms of their hosts, and host defenses are always evolving in response to the attacks of parasites. But it's clear that parasites appear to have the upper hand in this evolutionary arms race because of their more rapid generation time. We hosts can't reproduce nearly as quickly as those little boogers, and therefore we've got fewer chances to adapt over a given span of time. It's time to recognize who's the boss, folks. Who's really behind the wheel. Oh, you nematodes. And that leads us into this week's story, On a Blade of Grass, by Tim Pratt. Tim Pratt lives in Oakland, California, with his wife, Heather Shaw, and their son, River. His fiction and poetry have appeared in the Best American Short Stories 2005, The Year's Best Fantasy and Horror, Strange Horizons, Realms of Fantasy, Asimov's, Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlets, and Year's Best Fantasy, among many others. The story is read to you by Escape Pod's very own producer, Matt Weller. So kick back, grab a beer, and don't get up or go anywhere for a while, because it's story time. On a Blade of Grass by Tim Pratt Interstellar War is about as exciting as playing chess by mail. The guy who said that had been leaning into the bar for so long I thought his chess might fuse with the wood. I drifted over, because he wasn't a regular, and I was bored with all my regulars and their regular bullshit. Who plays chess by mail anymore? I said. With the net and all. Nobody. Guys in jail, maybe. I don't know. Because it's boring. My point. Inefficient and slow. Just like this war. He tapped his glass meaningfully. He was rumpled and sleep-creased and middle-aged and smelly. But a better class of smelly than my usual crowd. Like working all night sweaty smelly. Not sitting around all day smelly. Long enough tending bar and you can tell the difference. I refilled his glass. He was a pretty good drinker, but the little guys often are. They say by the time our warships get out there, to their homeworld, the phages might even be extinct, like just from natural processes, long timescales, like that. Or they might have evolved into something new, something that doesn't, you know, want to eat us? The guy shook his head. The aliens don't want to eat us. That was my, what do you call it, epiphany. They don't want to eat us any more than we want to explore brave new frontiers. All that eating and exploring, it's just, it's just incidental. I'm pretty sure they want to eat us, being as the first time we encountered them, they ate us. 
I polished the glass. Not because the glass was dirty. It's self-cleaning nano glass. I run this quality establishment. But because it's traditional and it makes the customers feel like the world isn't rushing past them at a billion miles per second. Well, metaphorically. Nothing moves that fast. Because it's faster than the speed of light. And if things could move faster than the speed of light, this interstellar war would be a lot less boring. At least me and my descendants I was likely to know personally would be dead long before any counterattack hit Earth. You know much about parasites? The guy said. Eh, when my wife was pregnant, she made me scoop the shit out of the cat boxes so she wouldn't get, what do you call it, toxoplasmosis. That's a parasite, right? I mused. You know, I'm still the one cleaning the cat boxes, and our kid's six years old now. I keep saying we should get nano litter, but that one cat in Germany got dissolved when the stuff malfunctioned. My wife says she won't risk it. The guy frowned, like my cat shit stuff had derailed him, but he leaned in deeper and poked the bar with his finger. Toxoplasmosis. Good example. Yeah, dangerous for women if they get their first exposure when they're pregnant. It can hurt the baby. Right, but the fact is your wife probably already has it. A third of the people on this planet have the parasite already. Hell, in France it's close to 90%. Not so many here. No shit, I added. And see, the parasite doesn't just make you sick. Toxoplasmosis. A lot of times you don't get sick at all, but it changes you. Women infected with it, when they have babies, they have more boys than girls. No one knows why. The parasite can change your behavior, too. They make cysts in your brain, alter your personality. They make men more promiscuous and less jealous. They make people less, how do they say it, uh, novelty-seeking. Men think women infected with toxoplasmosis are more attractive. Infected women are definitely nicer, anyhow. My wife is hot, I said. I don't think it's because she's got cysts in her brain. But if a third of the people on Earth have it... Yes, you see? Whole cultures could be affected by a parasite. Mass behavioral changes, insidious, and toxoplasmosis, it's a parasite that lives in multiple hosts, starts out in rats and mice, and it changes them, makes them less afraid, specifically, less afraid of cats. The infected rats don't run away when they smell cats, so they're more likely to get eaten by the cats. And that's great for the parasite, because it wants to live inside a cat's guts. That's where the parasite can reproduce. They hijack the rats. They just use the rats as a means to an end. Most of the creatures on this planet are just vectors for some parasite. How do you know so much about this? I'm a parasitologist, a rogue parasitologist. He lifted his glass and giggled, and I thought maybe I'd cut him off after this one. I have a controversial hypothesis. Grant money is hard to come by. I just lost the last of my funding because I was dumb enough to call up the UN Security Council and tell them my epiphany. Would you like to hear it, my hypothesis? I bet you'd like to tell me. I think the human urge to explore new frontiers is a bug, not a feature. He had the same kind of crazy intent eyes my regular Eddie McMurray got when he started talking about his horse racing betting system. Exploring is dumb. It's dangerous. If you've got a decent life in your cushy valley, why the crazy urge to strike out into the wilderness and seek new vistas? 
Early explorers tended to die a lot. I don't just mean people exploring like the New World back in the old days, or doing undersea exploration. We have manned space travel now. That's idiotic! I mean space! It's fundamentally inimical to human life. Why the hell would we want to go there? But so many people, scientists and novelists and thinkers, Hawking and Sagan and Heinlein, they say it's imperative we go into space, that we must, that it's what humankind is destined for. He tapped the side of his head. I think it's a parasite. I think most humans have something, some tiny bug, something that gets into us when we're born, before we're born, that makes us want to explore. Okay, you're the expert. Me, I never wanted to explore brave new worlds. He shrugged. Maybe the toxoplasmosis damped down your novelty-seeking behavior. Who knows? Maybe parasites and cat shit destroying our urge for the new world could have been the salvation of mankind if we'd achieved 100% infection worldwide. But it's too late now. We've climbed the blade of grass. The sheep have eaten us. He tapped his glass again. I pretended not to notice. You lost me there, pal. We're sheep now, or are we grass? We're ants. Listen. Dichrocohelium dendriticum, a parasite that lives in sheep. The parasite lay eggs, which the sheep shits out. Now, sheep don't eat their own shit, so how do the baby parasites get back inside a nice woolly baba belly to spawn their own generation of kitties? I'll tell you, snails come along and eat the sheep shit, along with the parasite eggs. Eh, circle of life, I said. The parasites hatch and get expelled in the snail's slime trail. Ants love snail slime. They eat that stuff up like, like I eat up these peanuts. He jiggled the bowl of bar snacks before him. So now the parasites are inside the ants, but they're still fucked because sheep don't eat ants. They eat grass. So what does the parasite do? Makes the ants climb the blades of grass? He blinked. How... How did you know? You said it earlier. Right, right. The parasite gets into the ant's brain. Normal ants aren't stupid, at least not about ant stuff. So they stay on the ground during the day and go home to their nests at night. But after the parasite takes over, the ants have this uncontrollable urge to climb as high as they can when night falls. They climb to the top of a stalk of grass when it gets cold in the evening and just cling there till it gets warm again in the morning, then go back about their business, except for the ones who get eaten by grazing sheep first thing in the morning. They die, but the parasite doesn't. It lives on, comfortable and happy in a sheep's guts. He shook his head and tapped his glass more insistently. Parasites are the secret masters of the world, not just the world, the universe. We think so highly of intelligence, like intelligence is the pinnacle of evolution, but that's crap. Parasites use our own intelligence against us. So what do you mean when you say we're ants? Ah, my hypothesis. We went into space, right? We sent a ship with some people in it as far as we possibly could, out exploring. Because the human spirit strives for greater knowledge, etc.? No. Bullshit. Because some unknown parasite made us want to explore. 
and we found aliens. Aliens is different from us as a sheep is from an ant, which isn't as different as it seems. I mean, both carbon-based. They can eat each other, right? But they look pretty goddamn different. And those aliens tore open our ship like a bag of potato chips and ate the people they found inside. Why? Who knows why? Maybe they just eat everything. Maybe they got some parasite of their own. Something that makes their first reaction to new things consumption. Maybe that's how they, I don't know, say hello. By consuming flesh and analyzing it chemically. There are lots of theories. I've seen them on TV, but who cares? They ate us. That's war right there. Sure, slow, boring, multi-generational war. But my theory, my hypothesis, is that the parasite, the one that makes humans want to explore, that parasite needs to complete its life cycle. Or at least continue its life cycle in the gut of the aliens we call the phage. Or maybe in the gut of something that eats the excrement of a phage. Who knows? Parasites' life cycles can be complicated. I think the whole human urge to explore is just a parasite's plan to get into the belly of an alien. I poured myself a whiskey. And then, because it seemed like the thing to do, I refilled his glass, too. That's fucked up, I said at last. You got, you know, proof? No. Needed to do more research, but I thought it was important. I mean, we sent warships to their home world, or what we thought was their home world. So I went to the military with my theory, and kaboom, no more grant money. That's crazy, they said. You're saying we have no free will, they said. We thank you for your contribution to science, they said. And here I am, drinking my woes away. Fuck it, I'll be dead anyway before the shit starts raining down. What was your, you know, solution? A guy like this, I figured would have a solution. There are ways to kill parasites. If I could find it, if I could find out what it is, wipe it out, parasite genocide, and maybe after that people would be content. Go back to living in their valleys. Stop pushing and pushing and taking and taking. Stop going into space. Stop getting eaten. But it's too late. We sent warships. The phages will come back. They'll eat our great, 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 exponential great-grandchildren. All hail the parasites. He opened his wallet and put some money on the bar. A pretty good tip, I guess, for all my listening. Good night. He left. Eventually, all my regulars left, too, and I closed up the bar. Out in the parking lot, I tilted my head back and looked up into that big, black, deep sky full of stars and planets and black holes and pulsars and dust and comets and asteroids and man-eating monsters. I'd never thought about it before, really, but I had to admit, it all looked pretty inviting. It all does look pretty alluring, doesn't it? Not the kind of, hey, check out the set of cysts on that one, allure of a beautiful woman. Something deeper. Something reeking with the pheromones of providence, of fate and fortune, of adventure and inevitability. When the Vikings looked west over the icy ocean, when early American settlers looked west over the plains, they must have all felt it too. What any of us feels when we look at the faintest stars on the crispest, clearest of nights. 
fear, bewilderment, veneration, and ambition, a fixation with wonder. These are symptoms of an ideology held in common by all living things, big and small, hosts and parasites, of manifest destiny, that we exist to flourish, to expand, to conquer and habitate, to journey beyond the cat's anus, into the minty urine-stained litter, beyond the smear of feces that is our current lot in life, and into the wombs of women, the stomachs of sheep, the slime trails of snails, drawn by the strange gravitational pull of planets orbiting suns so faint, so far away, that we can't even see them, even on the crispest and clearest of nights. Like I said in the intro, folks, if it's us versus them, host versus parasite, we're screwed. But the thing about parasitism, the thing that makes parasitologists have to say, depending on what definition you use a whole lot, is that there aren't just a few categories of species interaction. There's a whole continuum. Particular interactions between species may satisfy some, but not all parts of a definition. It's difficult to see sometimes if an interaction's in the best or worst interests of a particular species. Parasitic relationship or commensalist relationship? Hard to prove. Only the dumbest parasites will kill you. The smart ones want to see you succeed. Now which kind do you think the eons old, multi-species, intergalactic warfare type are? Ugh, okay, okay, you're right. Neither are smart, I meant. Which displays more efficient, non-sentient, adaptive behavior? Jeez, forgot I was hosting a science fiction podcast here for a second. But anyway, the point is, without her giant mechanical saber-toothed tiger, the yellow Power Ranger would simply be another spunky 20-something-year-old girl who happens to also be Asian. Right? Right. So if we agree that the parasite's Asian, we agree that it's super smart. And if it's super smart, it's going to try to enhance our cyber saber tooth abilities, not inhibit them. You may have a belly full of gross roundworms. You may lose your government funding. You may get your ship torn open and eaten by aliens. But what do you gain by being one of the few ants to ever see the sunrise? By going where no rat has dare gone before? By traveling to where the faintest stars are anything but faint? Come on, admit it. Embrace the worm. Don't be afraid. Just take a deep breath, pat your belly, and say, Oh, you nematodes. Don't underestimate the power of commensalism, my friends. Those little fellas behind the wheel could easily be the first to remind you that there's no I in team. Yes, there's a me, but there's also a meat. And as far as they're concerned, you're both. So get over it. Anyways, let's do some episode feedback with everyone's favorite ARM, Bill Peters. Take it away, Bill. Hello, faithful listeners. I'm here with feedback for episode 268, Advection, by Genevieve Valentine and read by R. Burr Lafferty. The story was about maturing in a drying world where plants are rare and precious and the rain is a thing of dreams. Blue-Eyed Devil said that the story cut very close to the bone on how little exposition a speculative tale can have and still hold together. In fact, I think it notched the bone in a few places. There was enough, just enough story to get a sense of the world, but the spare quality of the verbiage left the actual plot a bit on the skinny side. Devoted135 said that it reminded him of City of Ember and the way that the society was breaking down due to increasingly scarce resources, and the children seemed like they were put on tracks that led to their final jobs. Thomas Dalton said that this was far from my favorite episode. It was kind of rarefied, not much happens, or not given sufficient explanation of things that do happen. It was more of an atmosphere piece, though I did find the crush reasonably realistic. 
High school crushes are like that, including the girls feeling like she's ready to die and or run away. And that's it for this week. Tune in next week for the feedback from episode 270, Advertising at the End of the World. Thanks, Bill. All right, folks, that'll do it for this week. If you enjoyed this week's show, the best way you can express it is by donating. Escape Pod pays professional rates to authors for their stories, which means we compete with any other science fiction publication you probably pay to get. Help us keep this business model going and keep the free content going to the masses each and every week by making a donation via the links on our website, escapepod.org. We greatly appreciate whatever you can give. Another way you can help us out is by telling a friend, blogging about us, writing us a review somewhere. You're our megazord. Help us infest the intestinal cavities of the entire internet without the use of feces. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated. It's produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell any of it, but feel free to share it all you like. Our music is used with the permission of monster surf rock legends Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.org. And our closing quotation this week comes from philanthropist and U.S. Secretary of Treasury William Simon, who said, Achievers must not be penalized or parasites rewarded if we aspire to be a healthy, productive, and ethical society. (laughs) 